Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. This week, man, we, we've got quite a topic, don't we? We do indeed. I can't believe there's something that's quite so uh, both astonishing that it exists and so obvious in what it says and interesting and valuable. <laughs> and uh, what was really great about this, what we're going to be talking about today is something that is the DIB guide uh, or a DIB guide. And uh, DIB is the Defense Innovation Board. And uh, they released a guide called Detecting Agile BS. So, so what I'm amazed by there is that it's not called um, detecting the uh, symptoms and signals of a uh, sophisticated but not quite accurate and something <laughs> like some you know huge massive title with all kinds of bureaucratic synergy and I don't know other kinds of wacky stuff in it. <laughs> yeah, I like it's synergy. very clear. I do too, but yep. you know you can imagine what the Defense Department normally puts out. This is detecting agile BS. It's very clear. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and I think many of our listeners, or several of them will have come across it already. There was a great Hacker News thread about this, uh, which I think may have brought it to your attention. I, I found it through a colleague. Uh, and, and the funny thing was that you and I both sent it to each other. <laughs> we got to talk about this. It's, exactly. What's, what's, and all I had to do was, I actually didn't have time in the week, but I, all I did was read the opening paragraph. So I've, I've got to read that one out. So here we go. Agile is a buzzword of software development. And so all DOD, Department of Defense, software development projects are almost by default now declared to be agile. The purpose of this document is to provide guidance to DOD program executives and acquisition professionals. I'm not sure what those are, but they sound important on how to detect software projects that are really using agile development versus those that are simply waterfall or spiral development in agile clothing. And they have a new phrase here. Um, I've heard of scrum fall before, but this one is agile scrum fall, which I guess is <laughs> even more scrummy and um, waterfally because it's agile. I think it's more buzzword compliant is the idea. I think it's, it's absolutely like, buzzword compliant. I think this is a fantastic opening paragraph, like you say. And for people who aren't familiar with the U.S., United States Department of Defense, this kind of document is, is I would say, not the kind that you would expect from a, a government or military uh, body. So, so uh, we'll put a link to the document, of course, in our show notes, along with a link to the uh, Defense Innovation Board website, uh, so you can see uh, some of the people involved. There's a number of software industry people, such as uh, Danny Hillis and uh, Eric Schmidt, and there'll be um, notable people. So uh, I think it's worth worth taking a look at, at the makeup of the board, and you might understand then why you're getting this sort of very different kind of language um, rather than you get from a standard government contracting body. I think this uh, seemed like a, a great topic for our podcast, given that this is supposed to be, is intended by, by the Defense Innovation Board as a guide to their people to troubleshoot their projects, you know, early on, not, not so why, why are they going wrong, but even are they really agile the way they're supposed to be? Indeed. And and I assume that uh, that you're finding what I find, Jeffrey, which, is, and I'm sure our, our listeners are seeing this as well, that Agile is almost like a language for software development these days. So everybody has a sprint and everybody has a planning session and everybody has a standup. And their standup could be something where you sit down for two hours or where you um, <laughs> uh, have a conversation on the phone with one other person or something that the, the words are there, but the actions are not. And so I think the great thing about this is at least it promises and it also seems to deliver. We're going to check out what we think about it, but it promises a way of detecting and, and distinguishing the 
things that are actually agile in the sense, the small a sense of the word, that are actually delivering value quickly from the ones that are supposed to look that way, but are actually uh, something else in that clothing. Right. And, and and I think uh, this is something that is of use to a lot of people out there who uh, would say, uh, you know, what this doesn't seem agile to me. And and what what's great here is we then can, can take this, that kind of, I think we agree that the heart of what people might use, the most applicable part of this document, it's not a long document, it's definitely worth reading the whole thing, but the really the most immediately applicable uh, were these um, six key flags that a project's not really agile. It's so amazing that the defense department is doing this. You could imagine this as being, you know, the t- the six weird tricks for um, uh, avoiding a, a non-agile project. You know, it's clickbait. So it's uh, it's, it's awesome. But they they look like good good flags. I'm I'm keen to see what the two of us think about them. Right. So why don't you want to take us through uh, through each of them, and we'll uh, we'll see what we think about these. Yep. So the first one has wonderful phrasing. Um, and so these are bad things. So this is flags to show you that you're you're not being agile. So these you're supposed to describe the behavior you don't want. Nobody on the software development team is talking with and observing the users of the software in action. We mean the actual users of the actual code. I really like they have to emphasize that so that you're not confused. <laughs> Actually, pro- yeah. Yeah, exactly. Actual use, actual code. Uh, the program executive office, PEO, that sounds very governmental and defense department-y. I don't know what that is, but it doesn't count as an actual user, whatever it is. Uh, nor does the commanding officer, unless she uses the code. So <laughs> I think that's great. The idea of having a commanding officer is uh, uh, a little foreign to me. Well, the way that some teams are run. Well, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. I certainly have encountered in my world of startups, some founders who are practically com- commanding officers and they don't count as actual users because they definitely uh, are not typical users. And that's a great example of why I think this can be useful to some of our listeners, because you may be in such a startup where in fact, the founder says, oh, you know, just show it to me. And, you know, I, I used to do this. Uh, I used to be in the industry. So let me look at it and I'm I'm the expert and we'll just, just do what I say and that, that'll be good. We don't need to talk to real users. Yep. They would only tell us things to change. We don't want to hear that. <laughs> we want to hear what we're doing. Um, so do you want to talk about just that one? We had a couple others that were pretty close to that one. I'm open either way. What, what do you think, Jeffrey? The one thing I did want to highlight about this that they did um, highlight, this is one where they had a, a, a footnote that I thought was relevant because uh, when they said the actual users of actual code, they did say that there were acceptable substitutes for talking to users. And here's the, what they list. I think these are all excellent. Observing users working, putting prototypes in front of them for feedback, and other aspects of user research that involve less talking. So what's nice about this is they say, okay, you don't you might observe them using the code, but there are other ways to learn about their needs. And of course that depends where you are in the development lifecycle. And what kind of users you have. You may may not have access to your users for interaction and discussion. Uh, Your software might be used, as one of my clients actually has, um, by people in poor villages in India, and you're in London. So it may be physically difficult for you to observe what they're doing because by definition, they kind of don't have internet and stuff. That's the whole point is they're trying to bring those tools to those people. So in that case, they have to observe the users working. That's great. They can say, well, how many of these people are using this particular device that we're putting in in this village? And they have methods of tracking that and they can see what the actions have effects on those users. And that's perfectly valid. 
But again, they're talking to the real users. They're getting the information from those users who are actually in the villages. It's not talking to somebody who's distributing the devices to the users. It's not talking to somebody who's back in London as a representative. Right. Now, now that we've covered this one, as, as you mentioned, there were a couple others that we thought were fairly uh, similar. So maybe go ahead and mention those two now. Indeed. So the second one is continuous feedback from users. So the first one was about going to the users and, and getting information. Now it's feedback from them. Uh, feedback from the users to the development team. Bug reports, users assessment is not available. That's the bad thing. We don't want to do that. Uh, talking once at the beginning of a program to verify requirements doesn't count. I think we both noticed, Jeffrey, that one of the best things about this document is it says all the kind of tells you all the stuff that you can fail on. Yes. So a way to fail on this is to say, I'm getting feedback. I talked to them six months ago and they told me what to do. That doesn't count. You want bug reports, user assessments, and other things coming back to you spontaneously during your development. Yeah, I think that's great. So you know, as you mentioned, we kind of have a progression here from talking with and observing the users, using the software, and then feedback And you know, while you're not there. So you know, as people are, in fact, using it, then sending that back. Um, let's go on to the other one that we thought was related to users. Yeah, I really love this one because it reminds me of uh, something I did in the very early days as a developer before I even knew what Agile software development was. End users of the software, this is number five, we're skipping a bit. End users of the software are missing in action throughout development, very evocative phrase there. At a minimum, they should be present during release, planning, and user acceptance testing, those have capital letters. I know what UAT is. I'm not absolutely sure I know what release planning is. I'm sure those are terms that are relevant to this group. But the most important thing is that they, they should not be missing in action. They should be present. And I think we forget that a lot. The example I have from my very early days is that we were building software for a water company and there were a whole bunch of people who used a system literally running on, in COBOL on a mainframe. And this was the system we were replacing. These people worked in uh, the call center and they came out of the call center to come work with us. So we didn't have project, uh, sorry, product managers. We had these individuals who were real actual users and they knew that because the the system didn't have a field for things like mobile number because that hadn't been invented in 1972. They put an extra uh, two stars in another field in order to indicate that the telephone number was a mobile number and all kinds of other secret codes and weird things that we would never have guessed or understood. And these folks had the, the actual information about how the system we were replacing was being used. So uh, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have that direct involvement. And even a product manager is not good enough. That's a really interesting point because that idea that uh, I think in the in the software industry we're often thinking about uh, we have customer proxies and and to be clear there might be people on the team who don't end up talking to users like a, a product manager but the question I would ask them is how often does your product manager then actually talk to users uh, or are they are they mostly acting uh, as someone who's a business analyst and helping to flesh out the requirements. Now, this is different than maybe talking to clients. I, I work, in, of course, in B2B software, and someone might say, oh, yeah, I had a meeting with the client. But that doesn't mean they were talking to anyone who actually uses the software. They, they could be talking to someone who heads up the business or someone who's in, in purchasing or someone in a related area, but not the actual end user of the software. So how often are you actually getting that end user contact anywhere in your uh, development team? Absolutely. And you know what? I even feel a little more strongly than you do, Jeffrey, I think, because because I always try to get my actual developers in as much contact with real end users as possible. And one reason is because in a, a 
some of your listeners may know that I used to work in the company that Jeffrey is now in. So, so we were in the same industry. And so I remember in the very early days, I started this this practice of sending the developers, in our case, onto trading floors with people who are busy trading derivatives at uh, a million miles an hour or whatever they're doing. And I remember one of them came back and he said, boy, it's really amazing to see our software in the top right-hand corner of monitor number five on somebody's desk who has eight. And, <laughs> and, and now I really understand why these guys do so much drugs because there's such an amazing <laughs> level of input and, and um, you know, the, there's TVs going and there's the screens up there and my software is in this tiny little corner. Now I know why we have to make it easy to use as well as why they're, they're quite so crazy because those folks are, are pretty crazy <laughs> to encounter. But he would not have got that understanding if he hadn't walked onto a trading floor, which is a very unusual environment, very strange place to be if you're not used to it. I think that's that's a great story. I completely agree about the value, and I think that's what people should strive for. And I think people should really take it as a as a sign of how important this user involvement is by the fact that of the six key flags, three of them are about user involvement. So that that tells us a couple of things. One, that this is really important, and second, that these are really common stumbling blocks for projects that are trying to be agile. But they they fall down because of lack of user involvement. So that's that's a sign that this is a, a probably a likely place for many of our uh, listeners where the projects they're involved with might be at risk. Yep. And the great thing is there's this list of luminaries who have uh, come up with these these key flags, and the Department of Defense is a little hard to argue with. So if you need some <laughs> ammunition to argue that maybe our users should go onto the trading floor, maybe we should actually get some feedback then uh, here, here's some ammunition for you, so to speak, uh, since this is the Department of Defense. Um, sorry, folks, after those first three flags indicating when you're suffering from agile BS, we're going to actually stop here and invite you to come back next week for the other three flags. So hope you don't mind, but rather than get a giant length episode, we thought we'd uh, actually make a split here. So this is the end of this podcast. We'd sure like your comments and thoughts and discussion always at troubleshootingagile.com where you can find us on Twitter and email and all the other beautiful things. If you want to, we'd love it if you'd subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you can come back and listen to the next three flags from the Defense Innovation Board in next week's episode. We'll come back next time. We're looking forward to it then. Mm-hmm.